encourage you to spend some time, to, and you should be reading through James anyway, but like with any instruction, instruction is only as good and as beneficial as much as it is applied to your life. That's the reality of it. If you, uh, I, I'm not a big man on instructions. If I get an instruction book, for some reason, I don't actually read the instruction book. I like to figure it out whether it's like to put in a baby seat, whether it's to look at how my phone works. I, I still don't know how my phone works properly. I just, I just sort of go along and I, I pick things up, which is pretty bad. But sometimes we have that same mentality regarding the Word of God. James is about how the Christian life is supposed to look, what it's supposed to look like practically in everyday life. And so I would encourage you to, to spend some time seeking, and specifically for today's sermon, that you see what challenges are applicable to you as an individual. That's a really big thing as well. If you can just draw one thing away, then I consider that to be a real blessing uh, in your own Christian journey. Now, the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, which was one of the, the major superpower of its day, did not collapse because it was dominated by somebody else. It didn't collapse because it was, you look at this particular thing and you study all throughout history, you find out that the reason why it collapsed was because of internal breakdown. Some of the greatest musical bands in history, the Beatles, John Lennon, had a little bit of an ego, went, went off with Yoko Ono, Beatles broke up. One Direction was great until Zayn left. Once Zane left, then everything just sort of fell apart. One of my personal favorites is New Edition. New Edition, Bobby Brown left. Sort of, he didn't want to get sort of too much involved with things. Bobby Brown left. They brought in another guy named Johnny Gill. Lewis would know all about them, so talk with Lewis afterwards. And then after, I mean, still New Edition was around, but once again, those three great groups. So if you look at watchmojo.com, the top 10 things, New Edition is number 10, and they explain how that broke down, which is really quite sad. But once again, they broke down because there was a clash of egos. It was because internally, there were clashes of personalities. Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant, <laughs> one of the greatest big man duos in the NBA. These guys dominated. They had a three-peat in the year 2000, 2001, and 2002, where they themselves basically single-handedly dominated the NBA and won those three championships in a row. They have an interview on YouTube, if you watch it, of Kobe Bryant sitting down with Shaquille O'Neal, which is the larger of the two. Shaquille O'Neal actually admitted and said this. He said, the reason why I left, once again, was a clash of egos. It wasn't anything external. It was internal conflict, which caused this duo to break down. Shaquille O'Neal admits that if he didn't, if he could get past his ego, they would have went to, to done a lot more championships together. In the end, I think it's uh, Kobe Bryant, the, uh, the smaller of the two, who won five championships overall, and Shaquille O'Neal only won four. Now, these different examples demonstrate a common theme, whether it be in sport, whether it be in the arts, whether it be in society. And that common theme is this community breakdown. The breakdown of community, whether it be in business, whether it be in education, whether it be in religion, we are all susceptible to community breakdown, not because of external influences, but because of internal conflicts. James recognizes this, and after teaching about the way we are to live our lives, in James, the first part of James chapter 1, consider it all joy when you have persecution and your trials and all those things, about what our lives are supposed to look like at the second part of James chapter 1, where he says to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Then he looks about the way we conduct ourselves in the first half of chapter 2, where he says we should not demonstrate favoritism dependent on a person's social status. And then last week we looked at that of works, that faith without works is dead, that if you are legitimately a follower of Jesus Christ, this is how it should be evidenced in the way you live, the works that should accompany that. How we conduct ourselves in the body of Christ as believers in the Lord Jesus. This is how we are to live. And what I like is that James now looks at from chapter 3, verse 1 to chapter 4, verse 12, he looks at contributing factors to community breakdown. The things that play a part in destroying relationships. 
the thing that plays a part that can cause the likes of, say, church splits or, or disagreements or anything like that. See, within the body of Christ, we are supposed to be a unified body. And yet, why is it then you have so many issues, so many problems? And so James addresses this specifically, and he looks at three specific things. The first thing is this, the things we say. The things we say. I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and then we're going to look at this. We're not going to read big passages together, but we're going to look at this one thing at a time. And I pray that we can draw something about ourselves and about us as a body of believers. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the practicality that's involved, and I pray that this morning as we look into it, that we can practically apply the truths that you challenge each of us individually yet, and also corporately. So I pray that you might help us to see your hand at work in each of our lives, to hear your voice speak through your word, to feel your spirit prompting us and convicting us of where we need to be changed, to be more like your son. So we commit ourselves to you now, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the responsibility of the tongue is expressed in verse 1, through the judgment that is placed upon those who teach the word of God. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We are told in Ecclesiastes that with much knowledge comes much sorrow. Why? Because we know more. Because we know better, we are held accountable with what we now know. This means for me, as a preacher, for you, as a Bible teacher, a Bible leader, or a Bible study leader, even to the extent of any individual who communicates the truth of God's Word, whether to an encouragement of a saint or whether the gospel to a sinner, there is an accountability of what is said to the people you are talking to. It is not a light thing to communicate the truth of God's Word to other people. You know why? Because as you communicate to others, their spiritual condition is influenced by what you say, by the very words you speak. For the words that you speak actually become, as Watchman Nee says in his book, The Ministry of God's Word, he actually says, your words actually become God's words. And you read this throughout the, the epistles. Paul writes about personal experiences. Paul writes about various things that take place in his life, and that has become God's Word. People hear God's Word from you, and you will be held accountable with what you say. You will be responsible for either drawing people closer to or driving people further away from the Savior. That's why words are important. See, the positive or negative effect you have on the souls of the people you share with, the benefit or the damage that, you could, that could come about through words that are thoughtfully or flippantly thrown out. This is why he charges people, especially us, especially if we profess to follow Jesus, we take into consideration how we talk to others and what we say. Is Adam Saeed here? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Give me the paraphrase. Do not let any unwholesome talk Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Can I just say props to Adam Saeed? That's brilliant my friend. Brilliant. I wa I was actually going to call him or text him and say, "Bro, I need you to do this for me." But I thought, "No." Well done. Well done. I am actually it's a, the King James Version refers to those words, unwholesome talk, as corrupt communication. Corrupt communication. Do not let any corrupt communication, because it refers to the damage that can come about. When something is corrupt, it's, it, it affects its usefulness. When it is corrupt, then essentially you don't want anything to do with it anymore. And we are told that our corrupt communication, our unwholesome talk, well, we aren't to have any of that come forth from us. And, and James refers to it this way. This is the image that James gives of what the tongue is likened to. And this is verse 5 and 6. 
of chapter 3. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what, great, what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. We live in a country full of forest fires that start off with something small. You see the damage. Now, sure, it's great. You have a small fire, it brings warmth to the soul. On a cold day, sitting in front of an open fire is lovely. When uncontrolled, it tears apart whole communities. When uncontrolled, it destroys homes and takes lives. That's what happens when a fire is left uncontrolled. That is how James describes our tongue. Our tongue and the things we say can destroy lives can take lives, can tear people down. That is what our tongue is capable of. Something so small can cause a whole bunch of destruction within the body of Christ. It can destroy and break down communities, which is exactly what Satan wants. You see, a tongue, believe it or not, is indicative of who you are and where you are at in your relationship with God. James continues the theme of this importance of action demonstrated in the act of what we say. We talked about last week faith and works, that as faith without works is dead. Well, that's the same thing. Your words, those are your works. And this is indicative of who you are. And we see this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. We read this. This is what Jesus taught about what the tongue represents. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings out evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The heart speaks what the mouth is full of. Therefore, the things you say, what you talk about, how that's communicated, reflects the type of person you are. See, at our last prayer meeting, Jono shared with us this passage, actually, and we discussed it. And it was a great discussion. It rose a whole bunch of different things. Do we speak life? Do we speak death? Do we encourage to build up or do we tear down to make ourselves feel better? Or worse, do we dress up our tearing down in biblical language so it sounds good but is just as damaging? What do we do? Now, Pastor John stated a really great reality as we discuss this. And this is in verses 9 through 12. We read this. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And Pastor John, when he shared with us this observation, it was an indicator. What we say, how we say it, is an indicator of our closeness to or our distance away from our Savior. James states plainly that a salt spring cannot produce fresh, wa- fresh water and, and vice versa. Uh, a fresh water can't produce salt spring, uh, which means we may be one, not as close to God as we think, or two, not even a Christian at all. You see, what we say indicates who we are. What we talk about indicates what's important to us or what we value. Therefore, if I'm spending all my time, if I'm speaking insults or sarcasm or tearing down continually or complaining all the time at at things that are irrelevant, well, then that reflects what my heart is like. And, and I really like, enjoyed what Pastor John shared. It's, it's, the issue is, is not the water itself. The issue is the source. That's the issue. And it's not a matter of dealing with the symptoms of what flows out. Rather, it's dealing with the source of where it originates. That's the difference. And that's the challenge. 
Now, this means, this means we, we may be guilty of breaking down our community through the voicing of our disagreements with others instead of the person we should be talking to. I shared this at the leaders' retreat. I've shared this uh, with some other people in the church. This is one of the things that happens within churches. When stuff goes on and people talk, and it's a problem or it's an issue or anything like this, there's a lot of talk amongst the church and amongst the individuals. And you sit down and you go, okay, I want to talk with this brother, I want to talk with this sister. And, and then when it finally comes to me, it's been through a majority of the church, and they come to me and say, hey, pastor, fix it. I'm like, wow, okay, um, what's going on? Well, I spoke to this person. I spoke to that person. This person said this. This person said that. And, and we reckon this should be done. I said, why don't you come to me first? If, this, if, if, I'm the issue, if I'm the issue, if I have a problem or I'm able to do something, why do you wait till you've spoken to 25 other people first before you come to me? What can I do now instead of what's called damage control? I'll get a Band-Aid, slap it on, and hope for the best. No! This is where we, as the family of God, this is where we need to work, and, and, this, and the Scriptures speak about this, against gossip. We need to work against gossip. If you're talking about somebody and that person is not in your presence, you know what you're doing? Gossiping. If you're talking about somebody and you're not praying for them or going to see them and take an act on that, you're gossiping. You're what the Scriptures call a busybody. You're a busybody. Biz, biz, biz. And that breaks down communities. That you start, and this, and what all Satan needs is the thin end of the wedge to cause discouragement, to cause hurt, to cause discontentment. And once that's there, then he just knocks on that wedge more and more and more. So you ought to be aware of that. The things we say are important. And this is what I find fascinating. If you look at verse 2 of chapter 3, which I, which I really like, it's the reality of what we're like as people. It says, we all stumble in many ways. We do. We do. I am not perfect. You are not perfect. We all stumble in many ways. But what's described here as a perfect man is not conduct. It's not action. You know what it is? It's how they hold their tongue. We go, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check that's fascinating a perfect man is not somebody that looks good like brad and ash and lewis who were up here last week it's not a man who looks good like they may look good physically but what do they say that's how god describes a man that is perfect why because of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks why? Because Jesus says it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of a man. Why? Because what comes out comes from the heart. This is one of the biggest. Now, I, if you see me talking about somebody, if you, I, I give you, I heard the pa a pastor do this at one church. He, just, uh, he said, I give you the authority that if you hear someone gossiping, to go and see that brother and sister and say, we should not be doing that. Let's pray. We should not be doing this. We should not be talking about this. We should not be addressing this. We should not be ragging on this person. We should not be dogging on this person. We should pray for them and then move on. And please, 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 don't, don't, don't disguise your gossip in the means of, can we should pray for this person. Why? Well, I heard. <laughs> that breaks down communities. So, the things we say, this is what James addresses in the first point. Second point, not only is it the things we say, it is the things we think. The things we think. Now, we are told, well, what is wisdom? We are told in James chapter 1, verse 5, that if you lack wisdom, to ask of God. And that he gives generously as a father who loves us generously. Wisdom, we are told, is the ability to actively, practically, and intentionally appropriate what we have been given and apply it effectively to our lives. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Wisdom is the ability to actively, practically, and intentionally appropriate what we have been given and apply it effectively to our lives. 
You see, the truths we have been given in the gospel, the good news of how God became a man and walked this earth, directing people, teaching people, instructing people about who God is. Well, that is one of the truths that we've been given in the gospel of who God is. He is our creator. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is holy. He is pure. He is righteous that cannot have the sinful in his presence. We we find out who God is. You know why we find out who God is? Because when we know who someone is, we know how to wisely conduct ourselves in a way that is appropriate to who that individual is. I see this in the case where, for example, I, Pastor John, I love dearly. Pastor Ben, I love dearly. And when I'm in their presence, I enjoy talking with them. I enjoy hearing from them because they're full of wisdom. And then when I hang out with the likes of, say, say Nick or Andrew or, or Craig, I'm a bit of a clown. Why? Because I'm in their presence and I know I can be a clown. And I'm not saying I can't be a clown with Pastor John or Pastor Ben. I just won't. But you know what I mean? That we, when you go to work, the way you treat your boss is different how you treat your fellow co-worker. And it's different, again, in how you treat, you treat your subordinate. Correct? So if you know who God is, then you know how to conduct yourself in his presence in relation to him. That's wisdom. Not, see, not only know who God is, but also what God requires. This is what Jesus taught. What God requires. God requires perfection. God requires a payment for the offense we committed against him because we are sinful. When we know somebody requ- what somebody requires, then we think, okay, then how do I fulfill this? Micah 6, 8. Yeah, he has shown thee, O man, what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know what's required. Okay, then, then how do I fulfill that? And what you discover as you look in the scriptures, you find you can't fulfill that in your own strength. And this is why you find out how God brings us to himself. And that is through Jesus. That's what you find out. You find out who God is, what God requires, and how God brings us to himself. And as you look through the scriptures, you see how, yes, I know who God is, and then I fall short of what he requires. Therefore, I need help. That's wisdom. That is wisdom, to appropriate that. When one trusts in Jesus, then these great truths of God's word can be lived out. The liberty to live free from sin's power, from sin's condemnation. The liberty to stand strong on the promises of God. The liberty to walk close in the presence of the Savior. You see, human wisdom focuses on me. That's what human wisdom is. Human wisdom focuses on me. And as wise as I profess to be, the only legitimate wisdom that is worth anything from me usually comes from somewhere else. We, we have a wisdom that's based on experience. You learn from your mistakes. That's cool. That's nothing wrong with that. We have a wisdom that, that usually looks at things from a limited viewpoint. And that's okay. It's okay. I'm not saying don't be wise. But the comparison of human wisdom to divine wisdom... What we think, well, there's no comparison. If we are told in the scriptures that his ways and his thoughts are higher than my ways and my thoughts, why on earth would I rely on my thoughts when I don't see much? When I, don't, when I understand very limited, when I, when I understand very little, should I say. The old adage, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it, is a great example of how limited human wisdom actually is. Because you see this in history. I was listening to a preacher many, many, well, many months ago, actually. He was, and one thing he said, he was having a, a, t- a person asked him about his political views, and he just basically said this. He said, if you look at our history, throughout history, you see how humanity doesn't learn. We try things, it doesn't work, and so we'll try them again. Give it 50, 100 years, then we'll give it another go. And it'll fail again. This is what human wisdom is. But we are told not so much human wisdom, but to focus on divine wisdom. In James chapter 3, verses 13 to 16, we are told what human wisdom is. Okay? Um, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, conduct, by deeds, action, done in in the humility attitude that comes from wisdom. That's the divine wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. 
Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Whoa, that's, he- that's heavy. Well, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. From where you have envy, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find a disorder and every evil practice. This is what human experience, what limited wisdom, what human wisdom is. Your wisdom from a human perspective is demonic. That's, that's scary. Why? Because it focuses on me. It focuses on me. It focuses on my, my limited capacity to achieve. And in all honesty, like I said, the things that really last are the things that only can last, which is God's wisdom. God's heart. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, we read, I, I only ever memorized it in the King James, for there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You can try to approach God with what you think, it'll end in death. You try to handle various situations in your way, and it'll end in death. That's the reality of human wisdom, a way that seems right to you, well, the end of it ultimately is death. You compare that to divine wisdom, found in verses 17 and 18. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So we are told now, first of all, pure. Pure means, I've always shared this view, this definition, pure means without ulterior motive. Pure means that it's legit. And when something is pure, it means what stems from that is pure also. As I shared before, if the source is clear, if the source is clear, then the so- everything that flows from that source is clear also. So we're told firstly that it's pure. And because it's pure, there is no ulterior motive, which means how you conduct yourself. And remember, this is how Jesus exemplifies this to us as well. It's first of all pure, and it looks at the bigger picture of things. That's what, that's what pure does. It sees things openly and honestly. So it's first of all pure, then peace-loving. Lovers of peace don't sacrifice truth for the sake of peace. Okay, lovers of peace don't sacrifice truth for the sake of peace. But rather, truth, specifically through the truth of the gospel, you attain peace. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God through Jesus Christ that then can result with peace with others. Uh, You read that in 1 John chapter 1. But true peace is only a reality when the Prince of Peace is present. We have considerate. Considerate refers to being others-minded. My son, I (laughs) love my son. He is a Nathaniel works and sometimes he gets up really early in the morning to go to work. And so he'll get up and he'll just make a lot of noise. Like he'll get a bowl of cereal, and when it's really quiet, you hear the spoon hitting the bowl. Clink, 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 clink. While he eats, I'm thinking, oh, he'll go have a shower, he'll slam the door. He'll have a shower, he'll open the door, slam it again. He'll go to his room, open it, slam it. And I'm just thinking, keep quiet. Like people are sleeping. That's really inconsiderate to do that. And then when I go to the bathroom, he'll have towels lying all over and everything just lying out. And I'm just thinking, dude, dude. I just be a bit more considerate. Be a bit more. Now, praise God, like after like a few months of that, praise God, he's like, I can hear him now. Like he still tries it, but I appreciate the effort. So when he has a cereal, like there, there's no more, there's no more ding, ding, ding. There's might be occasional ding, ding. Okay, then when he opens and closes the door, it's like you can hear him. And the effort, I appreciate the effort. Does it still make noise? Yes, but I appreciate the effort. Now I know he's trying to be considerate. But I'm still awake. But I'm still awake. I'd like to say I'm awake praying, but I'm not. I'm trying to get back to sleep. But anyway, but it means being others-minded. It means taking time to think about how my actions can affect others. That, that's all it means. 
but even in the spiritual sense, about how my actions can affect others, how I show love, how I show acceptance, how I show patience, how the fruit of the Spirit is manifest. See, see that, that itself as well is being considerate. We must be and be, so we must be wise to heed the warning of Haggai in chapter one verse seven. What does he say? Consider your ways. Consider your ways on how it affects others. The next one. This is what divine wisdom is: submissive. It's the willingness to let go and surrender my ways to the ways of God. Submission to a way and a will that is greater than my own, and that is one of the most powerful witnesses of of what, what submission does. You see the example of Jesus, Jesus Christ's submission to the Father. See, we look at as submission as being weak. We look at yielding and as giving up. No, 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 it's not. It's actually one of the most powerful things for the gospel to communicate the submission. You submit to your bosses all the time. You submit to the road rules all the time, and that helps bring order. But you're told in the scriptures in Corinthians that if a, if a believing wife submits to her unbelieving husband, he can br- she can bring him to the Lord. That's the power submission has. It's not weak. When you hear people say in the scriptures, oh, you know, we are told the Bible sits here and teaches that a wife has to submit to her husband. Yeah, that's right. To her own husband, not to just any husband, to her own husband. Yeah, that's right. You know why? Because that is powerful because that glorifies God, because that magnifies his love and his goodness. And the effect that a submissive wife has to her husband is absolutely amazing. Because then in turn, we are told that we are to submit one to another. You can't ever say that submission is weakness, because then you're saying that Jesus Christ was weak. And he is like the manliest man to have ever walked this earth. That is what submission does. That is what submission can do. This is why he prayed, Father, not my will, but yours. That is submission. And because of that submission, we have received life eternal. We have received forgiveness of sin. We have received a purpose in life. We have received, because of his submission to his Father, that which lasts to eternity. That is submission. Then we're told we have full of mercy and good fruit. This is what was, it is a note that these two are coupled together. Mercy is about having what we deserve, which is judgment, held off. Meaning that we too are to withhold our harsh judgments of others because we are just as deserving of judgment as well. Instead of the abundance of good, and and also, instead we have this abundance of fruit that comes forth. The withholding of judgment of others, instead have that of the fruit of the Spirit shine forth, the love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, faith, kindness, joy, and gentleness. Um, Impartial and sincere. Uh, Impartial, we like to say that we don't judge a book by its cover, even though we looked at favoritism. Sadly, we still do. It's happened to me a lot. I still remember the day we had a visitor at this church and they actually said to me, are you visiting too? <laughs> and I thought that was really quite nice. I said, no, no, I'm, I'm actually one of the pastors here. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. That's okay. It was nice. I was, I was really happy with that. Now, not, not that I wasn't part of the church. I think it was, anyway. Okay, so, but we, to be impartial means to see, assess, and do in accordance with how Jesus saw, assessed, and did. Jesus, as we shared before, Jesus didn't see a large Polynesian man. Jesus saw a man in need of saving. Jesus doesn't see uh, 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 an Asian, Asian female there. He sees a woman in need of him. In Matthew chapter 9, we, we read how he rescued uh, Levi, Matthew Levi, the tax collector, takes a man and accepts him. We read in Matthew chapter 8 when he heals the leper. We see all these opportunities Jesus took impartially for the glory of God and the extending of his kingdom. He saw sinners in need of saving, regardless of age, gender, or social status. And last part here, sincere. The wisdom of God shines forth through those who are genuine who are real, normal people, not the false, self-promoting, hypocritical religious leaders of Jesus' day. 
This is divine wisdom. This is the wisdom that comes from above. Um, if you have a chance to, actually, no, look at Proverbs chapter 3. I like Proverbs chapter 3. I was reading this just this morning, actually. And I like the description of wisdom that is given here. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 21 says this. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding, oh, sorry, wisdom and understanding out of your sight. <clears throat> they will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. This is the divine wisdom that we have access to in Jesus Christ. But you see, this is why breakdowns in community come down to what we think. And, and here's uh, one, one, one side note. We often think the wrong thing. We often think the wrong thing. Be aware of that. If you think, oh, I, I can't talk to Joe. I don't think Joe likes me. Well, you don't know that. Come and talk to me. Find out. And I guarantee you, that is not the truth. I'd say I would like you. Well, most of you. Okay, but yeah, no, I, I think, but find out. Don't, and see, this is what Satan does. Satan starts whispering in your ear, oh, don't talk to Sister Eng Hong. Don't, you don't want to go there. You know, you know, yeah, you know what I mean? And then, and then you sit there and you go, oh, should I? No, I, oh, I won't. I won't. And then the Satan will sit there and whisper, because that's what he does. He'll whisper to start causing dissension amongst the ranks. Oh, I don't like Eng Hong. Why? I don't know. I've, I've never actually spoken to her. Well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's stupid. Like, come on. This is how communities break down. One, by the things that we say. And can I just say, yeah, wait, thanks, Julie, for sitting next to Auntie Hong Kong. I appreciate that. <laughs> but this is the reason why, okay? The things that we say, that can break down communities. And the things that we think, that breaks down communities as well. The third one, the things I want. The things I want. James chapter 4, verses 1 to 4 says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you. You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. How's this for a diagnosis of the church in the modern day? How's this for a cause of relationship breakdowns, church splits, and ruined testimonies? Remember, James is writing to Christians, and he refers to an aspect of our Christian journey that we acknowledge but very rarely take responsibility for. You see, the cause of fights, the origin of arguments, is not the devil made me do it. The cause of arguments and the origins of these fights, Naya, is not because, because they did this to me. No, it's the selfishness and self-centeredness of my own heart that is in the middle of such things. Much like a dysfunctional marriage or family, one wants what one wants at the expense of the other. And so this blinds an individual to the truth of what's really going on. And what I find fascinating is that this same mentality is even transposed into our relationship with God. This is the reason why he, he condemns the whole idea of prayer. You ask and receive not because you ask with wrong motives. Someone calling me? Yeah. Okay. No worries, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Hello? Oh, yeah. Record it and see who's saying what they're saying. Okay. But see, and this is what happens when we get like this. One wants what one wants, and it doesn't matter what, it's not what I can do for you. It's like, what can you give me? How can you bless me? What, what, what are you doing? There's a sense of entitlement, which is a really big word nowadays, especially with millennials. The whole idea of entitlement. I deserve this. You owe me. You need to give me this. 
And this has transferred even into one's relationship with God. You owe me, God, because I went to church on Sunday. You owe me, God, because I go and I serve every week faithfully. You owe me, God, because I went to prayer meeting once a month. And we have this whole mentality. You know what God owes you? Nothing. Nothing. He doesn't owe you nothing. But what he's done is he's actually said, I want you to be a part of What we deserve is hell. That is what we deserve. We deserve judgment. That is what we deserve. And then God and his goodness said, even though you do deserve this, I love you so much that I'm going to send my son to deal with what you have done to me. That's what I'm going to do. You see, this is one of the biggest problems within community breakdowns is what I want. Is what I want. Is what I want to get from you. And this is the view of, of, of many Christians today. Of many Christians today. And if you look at and view your own relationships in your own life and you have dysfunction in those relationships, you need to actually assess what is my part in causing this? How am I affecting this relationship? What is the damage that I'm doing? Because essentially, if, if you are this entitled mentality, especially in the church or even in your relationship with God and in the kingdom of God, if this is your mentality of what do you give me, what can you give to me, what can I take from you to make me feel however I want to feel, then you are what's called a Corinthian Christian. You are a carnal Christian. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 for that one. But yeah, it says... The, Paul says, I can't, I can't write to you. I can't talk to you as like you're growing up. You're a baby. You're a baby. What does a baby do? Baby's hungry. Wah! Feed me. Baby's tired. Wah! Put me to bed. Baby, baby wants to go somewhere. Wah! I want that. That's essentially what we are as Christians. When we want what we want and completely discard the wisdom that is found within the Scriptures. That's what actually happens. And, and now, now here's the thing. If we, if we are like a Corinthian Christian, like we are like a baby, coddled like a toddler, disciplined as a child, this is the comfort I do take from that to an extent. Disciplined as a child means this, that you're loved by a father. A father that doesn't discipline doesn't love their kids. That's as simple as that. And so we, if we're... But even this, because you're immature, you view such discipline as being unfair. That's what happens. So, all of these things, I'll just race through this. All of these things, the things I say, the things I think, the things I want, they all contribute to community breakdown. Breakdowns of relationships, breakdowns of churches, breakdowns of families, they all lead to a community breakdown. But here's what I'm blessed with, and I'm going to touch on this very, very briefly the solution I need. And that is found in James chapter 4, verses 7 through to 8. You see, even though, and it's found in all the other parts as well, even though we have the issue with the tongue, what's a blessing is that we are told within the scriptures about how that's dealt with. James addresses each thing. It's the recognition of it and dealing with it at the source. To the wisdom of this earth, it's dealt with with heavenly wisdom. To the, the nature of my own selfishness, that is dealt with. Actually, all three of them are dealt with with these verses here, these realities. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Firstly, submit. And I've already spoken about that before, so I won't take too long. But it's the act of willfully yielding my desire to something or to someone else. It carries such negative connotations, but to submit to an authority to submit to an authority is the safest place to be. By submitting to God, it's the wisest of choices and it's also the safest of choices. If I'm going to need medicine, I ask those who are qualified in medicine. I go to a doctor, Danny Christmas, Sari Ong. If I need my shoulder, when my shoulder is in pain, then I go to someone to help me out. And Andos, props, he, he helped me out with my shoulder and fixing it up using his physiotherapy skills. If my toilet is blocked, I'll go see Pastor Roger because he's a plumber by trade. So in each of those cases, I submit to their wisdom and to their experience. So then why would I question my creator 
the one who gave me life and refused to submit to him who knows every hair, well, no hair on my head, who knows every hair that, that's there, who knows every aspect about me. Why would I not submit to the power and authority Jesus had like he did in his earthly ministry the way he submitted to his father? That just makes sense. It's the wisest place to go. It's the safest place to go. The next part is to resist. Resist the devil. That's a willful choice, that of resistance. Standing against the enemy. The confidence we draw from these two choices is because we submitted to God, his will, his ways, his power, then on his authority, the resistance to the devil and the power of the Holy Spirit and the the power of the Holy Spirit results in him fleeing from us. This is what's really neat. You have, when you have someone to stand on, uh, someone to stand with, something to stand on, something that gives you security and power. It's like, it's like trying to, it's like someone trying to push me over. If someone faces me and tries to push me over and I'm standing like this, you can't do it. Front on, well, that's echoey. You, You can't do it. This is what the reality is. Resisting the devil when you have something like this to hold you up is impossible. No one can defeat you when you're like this. I could get all of you guys to try and push me over while I'm standing against this wall, and you'll get nowhere. You'll get nowhere. Now you'll be cheeky. You'll try to pull me off to the side or anything like that. But no, that's, you're breaking the rules. But that's what we have. See, the reason why we can resist the devil, because our wall is our savior. Because the authority is his. The support is his. The power is his. Everything is his. We stand there, and we say, get thee behind me, Satan. And you know what he has to do? He has to do it. And you see this. You see this evidenced by the way Jesus demonstrated it in Matthew chapter 4 when he was tempted in the wilderness. That, that is what we have to resist the devil and he will flee. And I'm going to close on this part here. Come near to God and he will come near to you. See, we've looked at several things that can break down community. We've looked at just a small part of the answer, that of submission and resistance, that it's, it's upon him. We, we submit to God and we resist the devil. And, and we're given this wonderful privilege. We're given this wonderful privilege that if we come near to God, he comes near to us. He comes, he comes near to us. See, I, I like the way that King James puts it. says it draws near. He draws near to us in response to us drawing near to him. I know at times we feel distant from the Lord. I know sometimes we feel alone or isolated from our Savior. And the thing is, when we feel alone and isolated from our Savior, we also feel alone and isolated from the saints. But the words here are plain and cannot be misunderstood. You come close to Him, He comes close to you. You draw near to Him, He draws near to you. You move toward Him, He moves toward you. Not away from, toward you. And think about that. And I see this when I was with parents, when parents are getting their kids to walk and they start walking. And, and it's a wonderful scene, especially if you haven't seen your child in a while, when you move towards your child and they move toward you. And, and it warms your heart. I remember one time when Nathaniel was young and he saw me and he came running and I went, oh, son. And I bowed down to grab him and he stopped this close and he walked away from me. And I'm like, mm. But the fact that he came to me, this is our father to us. Our father to us who sees us coming near to him and he says, I want to come near to you. Because if that's where you want to be, that's where he wants to be. He wants to be there too. Drawing near starts as shared in yesterday's devotion uh, on the devotional wall. Starts with drawing near. Um, if you look at Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, I mean, although it's talking about wisdom, the joy is this. It comes with submission to the... You, well, I won't read through it, but if you turn to Proverbs chapter 2, it starts, it starts, we are told in verse 5 about, you know, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and, and receive the knowledge of and understand the knowledge of God. Okay, that's what it says. See, but the then comes from what's preceding. The then, it starts off in verse 1 of accepting and storing up God's word. The, the then starts from turning your ear and applying your heart. 
in verse 2. The then starts with calling out and crying aloud. The then starts with looking for and searching out the things of God. See, it's when you do those things, then you will understand. Then you will find. It is then, and this is what our Lord invites us to. See, this, even though we experience community breakdown, yes, the way community breakdown is overcome, it's overcome by submitting to God, by resisting the devil, and by drawing near. That's where the answer, that's the answer we need. So I don't, know which, um, I don't know which of these God may have burdened your heart with, whether it might be the way you talk to people and the attitude you have around certain things. I don't know whether it's the things that you think about people. I don't know whether it's your own selfishness and self-absorption that might be the cause of community breakdown or of relationship breakdown. But I do know this. That is not what our Savior wants. That is not what the body of Christ is to look like as opposed to having things fall apart internally, may we, as the people of God, focus on submitting, resisting, and drawing, and watch what God does with this group of believers in the world today. So I'm going to, we won't close with a song. I would like everyone to be upstanding. I'm about to close in prayer. While I'll pray, uh, while I pray, if I could have the prayer team out the front as well. And if you want to be prayed for this morning after I close, please come forward. Don't be shy. We would love to pray for you this morning. Even if it's if it's about relationships, we want to pray for them. And if it's about if it's about the things that you think about and the things that you dwell on, we'd love to pray for that. If there are issues going on in your life or relationships that you want to restore, we would love to pray for that. If it's about your own personal relationship with your God and that you've drifted off for whatever reason, then we would love to pray for that. The reality is we would love to pray for you this morning because in submitting to him, we'll see what God will do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the words found within the book of James. Father, there is so much there and and I pray you firstly burden our hearts to delve into the scriptures, to delve into your word and have you speak to us through what we've heard today and through the words written in the pages of the scriptures. I pray, Father, for us that we will not be a community that will break down because of the things that we say flippantly. That they will not break down because of the things that we think about other people or whatever it might be. That it will not break down because of things that we want and our own selfish desires. But rather, I pray that we as your people will submit to you that we will submit to you as you submitted to your Father, that we will resist the devil and on your authority and in your power and by your Spirit, he will flee from us, that we will draw near to you, comforted by the promises that you will draw near to us. Father, we are comforted by such realities, but as we have heard time and time again, such realities mean nothing if, if it doesn't affect our lives, that if it doesn't challenge our hearts, that it doesn't, if it doesn't stir us to do something about it. So, Father, please help us not to be like uh, the men who are hearers of your word and walk away and forget what sort of people we were, but rather that we'll hear it and that we will do it. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters.